Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 109 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick, and we definitely have to start today with the news that came out over the weekend, and that is that James Dolan has tested positive for the coronavirus, obviously an unfortunate situation there. And I know that, you know, over the years, Knicks fans and maybe even Rangers fans to a lesser degree, they haven't always had the nicest things to say about James Dolan and, you know, at times, maybe uh, his performance has left something to be desired. I mean, I suppose that's about as nice of a way as I can put it. But obviously, you know, it goes without saying you don't wish this on anyone. You don't want anyone to get sick. You don't want anyone to get coronavirus. Uh, the good news here with Dolan is that it appears that he has little to no symptoms and will continue basically to go to work every day or, or at least work remotely as, as the rest of us are doing. But uh, yeah, obviously a scary situation there. Dolan is 64 years old. And obviously, you know, again, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but I do know that, you know, coronavirus has been a little bit more uh, prominent in elderly citizens. And, you know, as far as the people who are getting hit the hardest from it, it, it does sound like it's people who are a little bit older. And, you know, obviously, James Dolan, 64 years old. So, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed there for a speedy recovery for James Dolan. I'm sure it'll be something that continues to get talked about, continues to get reported about. Right now, like I said, there's not really a ton of details, just that he has tested positive, but that it seems like his symptoms are uh, very small to essentially nothing at all. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's in too bad a shape. It sounds like he's still doing well. It sounds like he's still in good spirits and still able to uh, perform his duties. And so, yeah, just fingers crossed that he like anyone else who has coronavirus, has a speedy recovery. And it's something that we'll certainly keep an eye on. Today, I thought we could wrap up what has sort of become a three-part series here where we're looking at documentaries about the 1994 Stanley Cup champion, New York Rangers. And today, we're going to take a look at the, like I said, the third and final documentary that I could find on YouTube anyway. And it is called Road to Victory, the 1994 New York Rangers Story. And if you type that into YouTube, it, it's certain to come up for you. Maybe take a look at that before listening to this podcast episode, if you would like. Once again, Road to Victory, the 1994 New York Rangers Story. You type that into YouTube, it'll pop right up for you. It's about an hour and 40 minutes long, so a little bit longer than the other two documentaries. And this might have been the best of all of them. You know, And it's, it's funny because all three of these documentaries, they're very unique from one another. If you watch all three of them, you'll learn something You know, in one documentary that maybe wasn't covered that much in the other documentary. And you'll find out some more information about this team, some more behind-the-scenes stories that maybe you hadn't heard before. And that certainly was the case here. Again, you know, I'm not going to go through the Rangers' entire season, you know, like I did in the past this year because, you know, we, we've talked about it on the other two documentaries. What I'm going to do here is basically just highlight a couple of things that I found interesting, some things that maybe I didn't know about or that I had forgotten about over the years and, and just kind of break it down that way. So, you know, again, the coronavirus has kind of put everything on hold here, including the NHL season. So there's going to be a lot of classic content reviewed on this podcast, and we'll get into some other things as well. i got a couple of ideas for the rest of the week. Maybe we'll have a couple more guests on here as well. But the first thing I want to talk about as it pertains to this documentary is the curse, because, you know, we've all talked about the curse, the curse, the curse. You know, 54 years, they can't win the Stanley Cup, but we haven't really gotten a chance to really break down what it was all about at that time. And the one 
theory as to why the team was supposedly cursed is that Ranger management in 1940, when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, they burned the MSG mortgage papers literally inside of the Stanley Cup. And there's actually a still black and white picture of the management team doing this. And, and so the idea there is that they angered the hockey gods. And yeah, I mean, I don't think you should burn anything inside the Stanley Cup. Just seems like a bad idea altogether. I mean, all the things you can do with the Stanley Cup, you should be drinking champagne out of the cup, not burning papers in it. So not a good move by Ranger management there. And then, of course, the theory is that the hockey gods are angry and they take it out on the Rangers all those years, 54 years running. And then the other theory as far as why the Rangers were cursed is that Red Dutton, who was the player, owner, manager of the New York Americans, they were the first team to play hockey at the Garden. They were kind of forced out when the Rangers started to hit the scene and become more popular. And Dutton basically cursed them and said something along the lines of, "They will that team will never win a Stanley Cup championship as long as I live. So a couple of theories, you know, maybe, maybe there was no curse. Maybe it was just bad luck. Maybe it was just a team that just couldn't get over the hump for the longest time. But this documentary spends a decent amount of time, unlike the other two, on everything that happened in the couple of years leading up to the 1993-1994 season where they broke the streak. And one of the things that was covered in, in great depth here was the trade of Mark Messier to the Rangers on October 5th, 1991. And it was a risky move. Neil Smith made this move, and there were people who were against this trade when it happened. Messier was 30 years old. I mean, not ancient by any stretch of the imagination, but there were some people who thought this guy's over the hill. His best days are behind him. Uh, what are we doing here? That This makes no sense. We're getting an, yet another player who's past his prime, kind of past his expiration date. And the Rangers, for a lot of years, even after this, even after winning the Stanley Cup, they did seem to kind of have this knack of bringing in players who were still good players, but were kind of shells of what they used to be before that. And it's like, man, if we had this guy three years ago, it would be awesome. But yeah, they bring in Mark Messier. Now, one thing Messier does is he instantly comes with just a load of credibility and he's going to be the captain and this is a guy who 30 years old he's won the Stanley Cup five times already in Edmonton so this is a dude that knows how to win and he sees it as a challenge to go to New York and do something different and try to win a Stanley Cup with another team try to lead the Rangers out of this malaise that they've been in for 54 years and lead them to a Stanley Cup championship and break the curse I mean in a way he would never admit it he would never look at it this way but Messier was almost playing with house money at this point because He'd already won the Cup five times, and he had done it in his home city of Edmonton. So what else is there to do? Uh, why not go somewhere else and see if you can win on the big stage in New York and see if you can break this uh, mythical curse that's been hanging over the Rangers for all these years? And Neil Smith, who was the Rangers' general manager at the time, he was interviewed in this documentary as well, and he basically said that, yeah, you know, I, I kind of went all in with this move. I took a gamble, and it, had this not worked out, if Messier had been traded to the Rangers and didn't perform well and, and was just a shell of the player that he used to be in Edmonton, that basically Neil Smith was going to be gone too. You know, this is the kind of trade that if it doesn't work out, it could cost you your job, and Neil Smith was well aware of that when he made the move. Something else that I learned from this documentary, though, and, and some of you might be aware of this, some of you might not be, certainly I was aware that a lot of players that were on this 1993-1994 New York Rangers team had played together in Edmonton. A lot of guys had played for Mike Keenan in the past, you know, Steve Larmer in Chicago, a couple of other guys, I believe Essa Tikkanen was another one. I had no idea about this, though, and that is that Adam Graves was a teammate of Marc Messier's in Edmonton. I really had no idea. Now, it was only two years, but Graves and Messier actually won the Stanley Cup together in the 1989-1990 season. So I had no idea, A, that Graves was in Edmonton as a teammate of Marc Messier's for two seasons, and B, that Graves had actually already won a Stanley Cup before the one that he got with the Rangers. So I, I found that interesting. Again, you know, you that might be something that a lot of you are well aware of, or maybe you forgot about it. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, he was in Edmonton. I had no idea. So that's pretty cool right there. 
And again, one of the coolest things about Messi, I mean, again, instant credibility, five Stanley Cups coming in to be the captain of the Rangers, but also just the fact that he was willing to talk about the curse and talk about, you know, the goal of wanting to win the Stanley Cup, because for a long time there, I think a lot of players on the Rangers were almost afraid to talk about it, you know, because of the curses and the jinxes and all these things. And just knowing that it had been so long since the team had won the Stanley Cup, you know, and it was just this this mountain that the Rangers could not climb, but he embraced the challenge, man. He, he made no bones about it. We are here to win a Stanley Cup. And it took until his third season with the Rangers to do it. But I think just getting the fans thinking about it, getting the players thinking about it, kind of galvanizing the team and saying, listen, the goal here is a Stanley Cup. It's not about anything else. I think that really worked wonders for the Rangers going forward. Again, it, was his th- it wasn't until his third year that the Rangers actually won the Cup, but he got the gears kind of in motion a little bit. He got this team thinking big. He got them to see the big picture. He got them to set a massive goal of winning the Cup, and ultimately, that's exactly what they did. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Rangers is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Ranger fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Ranger fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. That first season that Messier was with the Rangers, the Rangers ended up getting quite a bit of hardware that year, just not the one that everybody was interested in. And, you know, Mark Messier won the Hart Trophy for Most Valuable Player. Brian Leach won the Norris Trophy for Best Defenseman. And as a team, the Rangers won the President's Trophy. Unfortunately, they lose to the Penguins in six games in the second round that year. So all that stuff was basically for naught. And then the 1992-1993 season was just a complete disaster. They had very high expectations, but they missed the playoffs. So the Rangers actually missed the playoffs the year before they won the Stanley Cup, which is which is pretty crazy. I mean, you do see that every once in a while, but really not that often. And it was a situation where Roger Nielsen, the coach at the time, and Mark Messier weren't really seeing eye to eye. And and at Madison Square Garden, the last game of the regular season, the Rangers weren't going to make the playoffs, and everybody knew that. So the crowd basically did nothing but boo them the entire game. So uh, really, I, I guess it's a case where, you know, it's darkest just before dawn. And I think we saw that in this 1992-1993 season with the Rangers. And then I thought this was a really interesting story as well, because there was a Ranger fan interviewed in the documentary. There were a few fans actually interviewed in the documentary, which was kind of cool to see everything again through the eyes of the fans at that time. But he told the story of, I, I believe they were at the Garden, and him and, you know, some other fans all got into an elevator, and Mark Messier was in the elevator with them. And he actually apologized to the group of fans because of what a bad season they had had in 1992, 1993. But this fan said, yeah, you know, Messier, you know, he was frustrated. You could see it. He he was dejected because expectations were sky high. They don't even make the playoffs. Basically, all of this leads to the hiring, of course, of Mike Keenan, who in his one season with the Rangers wins the Stanley Cup. And the Rangers, they're really looking for somebody who's going to be a disciplinarian. They did not want a player's coach. They wanted somebody who was going to go in there and basically just lay down the law and run a very tight ship. And, and that's Mike Keenan to a T. And, you know, he was known even at this time, every every other place he had coached in his career, he had butted heads with, with management, with players, with everything. I mean, this guy, 
he's a very unique individual, and he, he's somebody who's he's just going to do it his way, and that's all there is to it. And every single practice was going to be pedal to the metal, all practice, every practice. It was going to be a mental grind. It was going to be a physical grind. But like Messier, he wasn't afraid to dream big. He wasn't afraid to set big goals. He showed them very early in training camp a video of the New York Mets celebrating their uh, World Series championship where they did the parade, you know, around New York City and basically wanted the team to envision that in their heads. He put up pictures of the Stanley Cup all over the locker room as well. And in Keenan's own words, he says, they have to embrace a level of excellence that is not normal. And that's exactly what they did because, I mean, Keenan, like we said, grueling practices, almost ran these guys into the ground, but he conditioned them as much as a team could be conditioned, and they were ready for any kind of a situation. And it really showed, you know, in those two playoff series against the Devils and the Canucks this season. Something else that this documentary covers, and one of the other documentaries mentioned it as well, but there was an early season game against the Mighty Ducks, and the Rangers just played awful. They were at home, and they basically just got run off the ice. And Brian Leach was benched by Mike Keenan in this game, but it also got to the point where Keenan just stopped coaching. He just stood there on the bench, didn't say anything to anyone, wouldn't even do the line changes. The players themselves were responsible for the line changes. I think the last thing that Mike Keenan did in that game was bench Brian Leach. He was really tough on Leach. That's something that we talked about in the past, and I believe Keenan said this in front of, of Leach's teammates, and I've heard this story before, but I didn't realize it was in front of the other players, and I I don't even know that 100% now, but this documentary kind of implies that it was in front of the other players. And he said to, to Brian Leach, I believe after this game, Chris Chelios is way better than you, and I would trade you for Chelios in two seconds right now if I could. And, you know, just an example of, I don't know if Keenan's looking to push buttons and, and light a fire under Brian Leach, or if, if this is just Keenan, you know, being a hothead, which is what he obviously was. But then the next practice, this team did nothing but skate up and down the rink, and Eddie Olchek in the documentary mentioned that it was it kind of just became this us versus him mentality among the Rangers, and that can actually work. If you're a coach and basically you're such, for lack of a better term, a complete a-hole, you can almost kind of unify the players amongst themselves because it's like, man, do you believe this guy? And maybe that worked. I mean, who's to say it didn't work? They did win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, all these crazy things that Mike Keenan did, and as much as, as impulsive as he could be at times, all of these tactics ended up ended up working. It ended up winning them the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, who's to say that this was even a mistake to, to be as tough on these players as he was to, you know, occasionally show them up. And, you know, th this incident, this bizarre incident where he just stopped coaching the team in the middle of a game, you just don't see things like that. But despite all these uh, aggressive tactics, all these bizarre tactics that he used, they won the Stanley Cup. Who, who's to say how much they won because of him? Who's to say how much they won, maybe at times in spite of him? We'll get into that in just a second because we got to talk about Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals where he used, again, some very bizarre tactics in that game. But first, I wanted to mention this. Uh, it, it touches on the rivalry between the Rangers and the Islanders and how you know the Islanders had won four straight cups in the 80s and just how much abuse the Rangers took from Islander fans at this time, how much abuse Ranger fans took from Islander fans. And there was a game in the Coliseum where the game starts, the puck goes out of play, you know, 20 seconds into the game. So that means there's 1940 left on the clock, and, and the fans just had a field day. 20 seconds into the game, there's 1940 on the clock, and they all start chanting 1940 because, of course, they did. Um, but then this is something new that I didn't know either. The Rangers had not won a game at the Coliseum in nearly five years against the Islanders. Now, there were ties back then. It bears repeating, you know, ties were a thing at the time. So obviously, you know, five minutes of five-on-five five overtime, nobody scores, you get a tie. But still, to go five years and not win a single game 
at the Coliseum against the Islanders. And yeah, you know, the Islanders are home, but there's Ranger fans in there too. It's not like you're flying across the country and dealing with, you know, a volatile road environment. There's Ranger fans in there too. And the Rangers go five years without beating them there. Uh, That streak finally ended this season. But even that happened under bizarre circumstances because Mike Richter starts the game against the Islanders. He gets pulled for Glenn Healy. And then, I don't know, I think Healy gave up a goal. And they put Richter back in, and, and Healy was livid. And, and you could see him on the bench. It kind of looked like he was trying to be a little subtle about it, but not really. I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was even looking directly at Keenan, but he was chewing him out on the bench. And that is a pretty rotten thing to do to somebody, to, to put him on the ice. I mean, you, you don't see this. You don't see a goalie be pulled out of a game and then put back in later to have the backup then also pulled. So whatever. I mean, a very strange uh, instance there. But the Rangers end up winning this game despite all that, 5-4. to four. So they finally break the streak as far as losing at the Islanders. That was a bit of a subplot to the 54-year streak of not winning the Stanley Cup was the five-year streak of not being able to win in the Coliseum. And we got to talk about the trade deadline because this documentary goes over it in great detail. Now, the Rangers had already made a move to acquire Steve Larmer before the deadline, but then right at the deadline, you know, they got Keenan and Neil Smith in the same room, and, you know, they were at odds at times and always kind of butted heads, but Neil Smith basically told Mike, listen, I will get you what you need, but you got to tell me what you need. Because early in the season, or even in the in the preseason, Smith and Keenan had had a conversation, and Smith said, you know, I, I think we got a team here that can win the Stanley Cup, and, and Keenan didn't understand what he was hearing because he said, this team didn't even make the playoffs last season, so what makes you think they can win the Stanley Cup? And he wanted to get his guys that he'd coached before into the building, onto the Rangers. And Neil Smith, for a while, he didn't really want to upset the apple cart, so to speak, because the Rangers had been winning. When the, when the Rangers made all these moves, you know, as if they're playing a video game, they were in first place. They had the best record in the NHL. So from Neil Smith's point of view, it's like, man, do you really want to mess with this? Do you really want to make all these moves and send all these these guys who have who've made big contributions out the door, including guys like Mike Gartner and Tony Amante, two very skilled players, two very fast players. But Keenan wanted to go with more of a grinded out kind of a game. And so Amante, Gartner, Bork, Anderson, they're all gone. We end up getting Stefan Matteau and Brian Noonan. Now, Keenan earlier in the year was willing to do Amante for Matteau straight up. And Neil Smith basically told him, I can't do that, man. I can't give up a guy with Amante's skill for, you know, uh, basically a third-line player in Matteau. And a guy that doesn't have nearly the upside that Amante did at the time. And so Neil Smith, I guess they kind of compromised. And he was able to get Noonan thrown in there as well. And he kind of just figured like, well, okay, it's two for one. I guess I can do this. But I think Neil Smith wasn't completely sold on that. But... Mike Keenan wanted his guys, and again, he made it work. So that's one of the moves right there. Amante for Matteau and Noonan. And then Mike Gartner is shipped out of town, and the Rangers bring in Glenn Anderson, who had won the Stanley Cup five times already in Edmonton. You know, he was with Messier all those years. Uh, Gartner was a very popular Ranger, but Mike Keenan was never really a Gartner guy. Again, he wanted a little more physicality, he wanted a little more size, wasn't really a fan of kind of the finesse game of Gartner. And the Rangers, you know, Gartner was there for a long time, and they had never really done a whole lot in the postseason. So I think maybe just looking for a shakeup there. And then, of course, you get Craig McTavish as well, 35 years old, when the Rangers acquired him. But the Rangers kind of looking for, you know, a a third-line center, a grinder, a penalty killer, a guy who can, you know, play a physical style of hockey. And Craig McTavish was a great player for the Rangers down the stretch this season. And this was a here-and-now type of a trade deadline, if ever there was one, because McTavish and Glenn Anderson, this was the only season they played with the Rangers. They were only there as rentals. They only played this one-half season with the Rangers. Obviously, it worked. They won the Stanley Cup, and and what a unique situation 
pressure for them to jump onto this team and, you know, end up winning a Stanley Cup and breaking the curse. You're only here for half a year, and yet Ranger fans are never going to forget you because you were part of the team, the only team, again, that has won the Stanley Cup for the Rangers in the last 80 years, and you're part of that. So very cool thing for both of them. Obviously, they both made major contributions in the rest of the regular season and the postseason as well. The documentary kind of breezes over the first two rounds of the playoffs, and understandably so. I mean, the Rangers swept the Islanders, and they beat the Capitals in five games, so not really a lot of trouble there. They, they were just kind of cruising, you know, no issues whatsoever in the first two rounds of the playoffs, but we know what happened after that. They run up against the Devils in the Eastern Conference Finals, and this documentary takes a, a good hard look at Game 4 because the Rangers, again, they're up two games to one at the time, but this is the game that... Keaton yanks Mike Richter out of the game, and he benches Brian Leach for a good chunk of the game as well. And, you know, a lot of the players talk about in this documentary kind of what I had mentioned when we were talking about the last documentary. Look, if you're Mike Keenan and you want to send a message to your to your team and to your players and you want to pull Mike Richter out of a game and you want to bench Brian Leach and, you know, send a message to the superstar players— that's fine if you want to do it in December or January. There's no issue with that whatsoever because sometimes that's what a coach has to do. He has to send everybody a wake-up call. Game four of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Devils is not the time to do it. And a lot of Rangers kind of in these in these interviews, you know, that they that they shot years later, they echoed those sentiments like, dude, this is not the time to send a message to the team. We're only down by a couple goals here. It's game four of the Eastern Conference Finals. Let us have a chance to get back into it because Keenan was making all these moves in the first period. It's one bad period. You know, give these guys a chance. Give your guys a chance who you have so much confidence in. You've put so much faith into this team. You really think that they're a Stanley Cup contender now after all these trades that you've made. Let them fight their way back into the game. Um, now, the Rangers did get off to a really bad start in this game four, but again, you know, give them a chance to come back. Give them a chance to work their way out of it. But to no avail, the Rangers, of course, lose that game. It's two games to two. And Neil Smith in this documentary said that, you know, he didn't agree with anything Keenan had done in that game, in game four, but what was he going to do? You know, this guy is taking you to the Eastern Conference Finals. Is Neil Smith going to go down into the locker room and start telling Keenan how to run the team? And so he didn't do that. But the other interesting story here was that uh, Mark Messier met with Mike Keenan after this, and he basically just told him, you know, this is not the time for your, you know, hard-ass motivational tactics, basically. And by that time in the season, the Rangers were beyond that. They, they were fighting for their lives here against the Devils. Just let us do our thing. I think that was kind of the message from Messier to Keenan. And Keenan said, you know, I, I need I need everything from you guys. And, and, and Messier was telling him, like, man, we are so close. We are so close. And they actually both got pretty emotional, it sounds like. They were both crying by the end of this. But, of course, the Rangers, they lose 4-1 to in Game 5. You get the Messier guarantee in Game 6. We know what happens there. And the Devils, of course, went up 2 to nothing in Game 6. And Mike Richter, he said in the documentary that at that point he was thinking, like, don't pull me, do not pull me, do not pull me. We got this. He feels good. And the thing that I really liked is that this documentary really highlighted Mike Richter in Game 6 and the fact that he gave the Rangers a chance to come back because, again, they were down 2 nothing. If the Devils score again, you know, it's 3 nothing, and, you know, it's still possible. But, geez, man, you're, you're really digging a hole at that point. And Richter made some tremendous saves in this game to keep the score where it was, just at 2 nothing. gave the Rangers a chance to climb out of it, and he really did make some nice saves in this game. And absolutely check out the documentary. You know, you'll, you'll see it for yourself. And then Brian Leach also mentions how Keenan juggled the lines a little bit in this game, put Messier and Kovalov out there together. And, of course, Messier assists Kovalov on the first goal. That cuts it to 2-1, to one, and then Messier gets the natural hat trick, and the Rangers win 4-2. to two. And then Game 7, of course, you know, double overtime. Uh, the Devils tie the game with seven seconds left. It, 
it goes into overtime, it goes into double overtime, but this was great coaching by Keenan because at the end of the third period, of course, the Devils tie the game with 7.7 seconds remaining, and the team goes to the locker room, and it's like, man, how do you how do you get your head back on straight? How do you just forget about what just happened and concentrate on the task at hand? Listen, we got to get the next goal, and Mike Keenan said he went in there, everybody was dejected, everybody's heads were down, and he said to them, I want you to imagine how great you're going to feel when we score that goal. And he said, at that instance, everybody's head kind of went back up, and Mark Messier stood up and said, you're bloody right. And I don't know if, if he just said bloody to, uh, you know, kind of censor it for this documentary. It's kind of a strange way to say it. I, I get the feeling it might have been a different adjective that was used there. But regardless, you know, that that's a great thing for Keenan to say because everything is still right in front of you. You know, if you would have said before the season to this Ranger team, uh, would, would you take an overtime matchup in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals? You'd have to sign up for that. You'd, you'd have to take that deal and just take your chances at that point. There were great stories from some of the fans that were interviewed. One received a call from his mother-in-law with about 15 seconds left in the game. You know, there was a play stoppage, and she said, like, oh, I, I wanted to, to get through to you first because, you know, back then you would get a busy signal if somebody was on the phone. And so she wanted to be the first to call him, and she called with 15 seconds left, and you know, was on the phone with him, and, and they're watching the game, and then the Devils tie it, and apparently this guy was so mad that he yanked the phone out of the wall, and, and was just yelling and screaming, and, and she jinxed us, she did this, it's her fault, and everybody he was there with basically agreed with him. Didn't even get mad at him for yanking the phone out of the wall, agreed that she had, had jinxed them. And then another fan was actually at the game, and apparently punched out an exit sign, and and and, and cut himself up pretty good on his hand and arm and was bleeding. And him and his friend had to go to the bathroom and get all these paper towels and just wrap up, you know, the, the wound. And he, he just stayed for the rest of overtime and double overtime with his arm, his bloody arm wrapped in paper towels, and then just went to the doctor the next day and got a couple of stitches. And, and the doctor didn't even know. He just asked, did we win? And the guy said, yeah, we won, we won. And, and then the doctor asked him, did you play? But yeah, always cool to hear, you know, some of these stories from, from different Ranger fans and where you were and what you were doing and all those, all that good stuff. Not going to spend too much time on the Stanley Cup Finals just because, you know, that one documentary that we covered in the past that has spent so much time basically just talking about the Finals. There's not a whole lot new that I learned here, although the Rangers had to, going into Game 5, up three games to one, they had to plan the parade, they had to have plans of having champagne in the locker room, and everybody thinks this is it. And Al Trotwig, who was interviewed, he said that made him really nervous because everybody just seemed to think it was a formality, that the Rangers were just going to go home for Game 5 and they were going to win. Of course, they lose. They lose Game 6 as well. And then... The day before Game 7, Mike Keenan, you know, during practice said, I'm behind you guys 100%. We started this mission with one goal in mind, and he said that you don't have responsibility to anyone except yourself and your teammates for this game. And I think what he was trying to do there was kind of alleviate some of the pressure, if not try to eliminate the pressure of this whole curse thing and this whole, you know, you have to break the curse. You have to win one for New York. And he just kind of said, no, you have to win it for you. And I think that's a great message. Look, I'm sure there were a lot of players who embraced the challenge. They wanted to win it for New York, and they wanted to win it for all the fans. And you can certainly tell when they won Game 7, a bunch of the fans, you know, they were in the stands, basically, and letting the fans touch the Stanley Cup. Just a really cool moment, obviously, celebrating with the fans. But at that moment, it's not really about the fans. It's about the players, and it's about doing it for themselves and doing it for each other. And I think that was a great message that Keenan sent to his team right before Game 7 there. Another fan in this documentary tells the story of being offered $20,000 for his Game 7 tickets. Now, granted, there were four tickets, so that's $5,000 a pop, but he would not do it. He said $20,000 will not change my life, but seeing the Rangers win the Stanley Cup will. And so he gambled and won. Obviously, the Rangers won Game 7. 
Another fan tells a story of going to his pre-prom party, but then the limo was going to drop him off at the garden so that he could go to game seven. So, I mean, that's awesome. Do what you got to do there. Another fan got to the garden at 8 a.m. and just hung out there around the building the entire day and just kind of waited for the game to start at 8 p.m. He said that actually kind of calmed him down, just kind of being in the environment for a while. And then, of course, you know, the Rangers win the Stanley Cup. Again, we don't need to get into all the details all over again, but they show all these videos of fans, you know, celebrating at home and celebrating in bars and celebrating on the streets. Uh, I believe it was Eddie Olchek mentioned that he left the Garden around like 5 in the morning because obviously the players are partying in the locker room and probably nobody wants to go home. But he goes out there and there's still people out there partying and, you know, then you get the parade. And here's something I didn't know about. So the day of the parade, Sam Rosen and John Davidson, they were asked to kind of cover the parade from the studio. And they were like, ah, man, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to be out there having fun with everybody else, with the players and the fans and everything else. But they agreed to do it. And you could even tell, you know, they show some clips from that. You could see that, like, these guys don't seem as happy as they should. And I think both of them were just kind of bummed that they had to be in the studio and not out there. You know, it's it's the summer. It's a nice warm day. And obviously, I mean, it's just a tremendous celebration. So they want to be out there. But then a police escort showed up at the studio to take Sam and JD from there to City Hall for the celebration. So a really cool moment there. And I mean, Sam Rosen basically just jumped out of his seat as soon as he showed up. And Al Trotwood kind of let them know uh, what was happening because Trotwig was there at City Hall and he kind of told them what was going to happen. That the policeman came on and Sam Rosen just, like I said, just jumped out of his seat and uh, they got there. They got there for the for the celebration. Adam Graves took a train from his house in White Plains and he said it was just packed with Ranger fans. Everybody's just singing and chanting and doing all this fun stuff. And then, uh, I mean, you watch this parade on the documentary and you literally could not have fit any more people there. It, it, it's so dense. I mean, it looked like New Year's Eve celebration times 10. I mean, you could not fit any more people there. And just just really cool stuff, man. I mean, it was just absolutely packed. You know, you say, like, oh, that stadium was packed. That building was packed. It was packed. You could not fit any more people onto the New York City streets than the amount of people that attended this. It really was crazy. And so just awesome stuff. You know, it, like I said, these three documentaries that, that I've covered here on all these different episodes, it's just been a tremendous amount of fun for me to kind of relive all this, learn some new things, uh, be reminded of some things that I hadn't really thought about in a long time. So hopefully it's been fun for you as well. And hopefully like you guys, it just makes you that much more hungry for the Rangers to win another Stanley cup. And you know, the current team, I don't think they're quite there yet, but they're clearly going in the right direction. A lot of young fun talent on that team and a lot of great moves by the front office, setting it up the Rangers, you know, they've, begun to put all the pieces together and hopefully within you know two or three years we can be talking about this team you know having a chance to win the Stanley Cup and fingers crossed that that's exactly what happens but that's gonna do it for today guys once again if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast send an email to lockedonnyrangers at gmail.com again that is lockedonnyrangers at gmail.com and be sure to give us a follow on twitter at lo underscore ny underscore rangers again that is at lo underscore ny underscore rangers Now go ahead and tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I will see you next time.